I want to give you 12 concepts of faith from the words of Christ. Some of them will have to be pretty brief to get through them. The first concept of faith from the words of Jesus is that every single problem is a raw material for a miracle. And we want to have our minds renewed. We want to actually have the mind of Christ. So this is the way Jesus thinks. Now, when I was a boy, I made a mud pie. I had to use dirt, and I had to use water, and that made the chocolate pudding for the mud pie. Now, if you're going to have a miracle, you have to have two things. You have to have a problem, and you have to have the grace of God. And the best definition for the grace of God is the activated power of God. Amen? The activated power of God. So uh, you'll never find a miracle in the Bible unless it starts with a problem. If it didn't start with a problem, it wouldn't be a miracle, all right? So darkness is over the surface of the waters. Then there was the miracle of God creating everything, all right? Now, when Jesus and his disciples walked along, they saw a man born blind, and his disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? All right, they have the doubt, pout, and go without mindset. Because they saw a problem, thought it was going to stay a problem, and wanted to know who to blame it on. That's negative thinking. And Jesus saw it differently. He said, neither he nor his parents sinned. This happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Then Jesus mixed the grace of God with it, healed the blind man, and that's the ninth chapter of John that's being translated into all the known languages of the world. It's still a beautiful display case displaying the glory of God. Now, the seventh concept is the bigger the problem, the more the grace, and the bigger the miracle. We'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, when Jesus got word that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Amen? This sickness will not end in death. All right, so Lazarus was dead four days, and uh, it was a much bigger problem, so much more grace was mixed with it, and it made a bigger miracle. Now, when Jesus looks at your problems, you think he's going, oh, Father, I've never seen one this bad. I just want to take a time out from being the Savior. How many of you think Jesus just sort of rubbing his hands saying, Father, there's a perfectly good problem. I could mix grace with that and bring you a lot of glory. Now, let's lift our hands and thank God we've got perfectly good problems. Amen. Yeah. Now, we don't want to leave them unconverted. And... Uh, the Bible says, from the fullness of His grace, we've all received one blessing after another. But a lot of our blessings come in raw material form. They come down the conveyor belt of life. They look like problems, and they have to have grace mixed with them. Then they turn into blessings. Amen? But it's supposed to be bumper-to-bumper, unconverted problems. No room. Bumper-to-bumper. No room for unconverted problems. See, from the fullness of His grace, we've all received one blessing after another. That's just blessing to blessing to blessing. So, in order for that to happen, uh, we have to have a mindset of faith and trust in God so that we don't start doing what the disciples did, Rabbi, who sinned? Whose fault is this? Who can I blame this on? Instead, we need to say, Lord, this looks like a good display case for your glory. All right, that's the first concept of faith. Now, the second one is that there's an order to faith. It's very important to get faith in the right order. So Jesus said, blind Pharisee first, 
That means divine order. First, clean the inside of the cup and dish. And the cup and dish, of course, is our heart and our mind. And then he said, everything else will be clean for you. So there's two kinds of problems. Take your fingers and point to your chest and say, internal problems. You've got to say it big and loud. Ready? Internal problems. Now point outward and say, external problems. Do it again, big and loud. Internal problems. External problems. All right. So... You want to ask the Lord to help you get rid of your internal problems first so that he will help you clean up all your external problems. Because if we're trying to apply faith to external problems, but we've neglected to clean up the internal problems, our faith will not work. See? And that's why we want to say, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm really feeling sorry for myself today. Or Holy Spirit, I'm so angry today. Or Holy Spirit, you know, I need a whole new motivation. I feel lazy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what your internal problems might be, but if you detect them, start talking to the Lord about them immediately. Amen? Yeah, don't try to cover them up or hide them or have excuses for them. Uh, because this is one of the, of, the, of the 12 concepts of faith. There's two that I consider the most important. So this is one of those most important ones. Now, at the end of the book of Acts, when you see the Apostle Paul going through hurricanes and shipwrecks and snake bites and plagues, and everything turns out to help him win more souls. Amen? And, uh, and all things work together for good to those who love God. Well, if you really love God enough to have that happen, you've got to get rid of your internal problems. Amen? So in the book, The Heart God Hears, I have a, a hundred uh, sweet spirit verses in the back, and they're verses like, do everything without arguing and complaining, that you may be blameless and pure. Or, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up. Or, let your gentleness be evident to all. And so the Lord, when we're going to be men and women of faith, He wants to constantly coach us into having a sweet spirit so there's not external problems. Now, one time I was writing a songbook, and I had borrowed $5,000. I got it set in four-part harmony. I had the cover artist done. I had the cover printed and laminated. I had the spiral bindings. I had everything ready to go and my own printing press and the guy that would print it for free. But I ran out of money before I could buy the paper. And I needed $725 to buy the paper to print the book so I could repay the loan. So I was really in a mess. Now, we lived across the street from the church, and our ground had uh, cedar trees around it on all four sides that formed a privacy hedge. But one day, my neighbor got a new chainsaw, and he got drunk. Now, what kind of a problem is a drunk neighbor with a chainsaw? Is it internal or external? Wave your hand and say, come on, wave your hand and say, it's an external problem. Now, wave your, le wave your right hand and say, it's just a drunk neighbor with a chainsaw. That's all it is. Amen. Now, this guy began to saw the branches off on our privacy hedge, and he sawed them off eight feet tall on five trees on his side, and then came around on my side and sawed them. And so the Lord had been telling me he's going to give us one blessing after another. So I walked across the street to go home that night, and I could look into his messy yard now, and it had old cars jacked up on cement blocks and just junkyard, you know. And so I crouched down like this, and I said, that ain't no blessing. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me, keep your spirit sweet. Keep it sweet. Whisper. Everybody whisper. Keep it sweet. Whisper it again. Keep it sweet. Sweet. Because
because the Holy Spirit wanted me to not get an internal problem. Right now, I only had an external problem, right? And so if I kept sweet, I wouldn't have two kinds of problems. So I went over to talk to him, and I didn't get angry. I just said, I see you did a little damage to my property. He was so sorry. His wife had caught him, or he was going to go around the whole hedge. (laughs) But now he was sober, And then an idea came to me. I said, do you have homeowner's insurance? He said, I do. Well, I called them. They gave me $750, declared the trees a total loss. I bought the paper, printed the songbooks, (laughs) repaid the loan. And when we sold our property, we sold it for full price. And uh, the trees didn't diminish the price of the property. And when we came back to visit a year later, all the trees had died of a disease. Isn't that interesting that the Lord let the devil think he was going to bug me? Amen? And then he just mixed grace with it, see? But notice how when the external problem came, the Holy Spirit wanted to coach me, keep your spirit sweet. Now, how many times think you think maybe we forget that? Now, let's lift our hands up right now and just ask the Holy Spirit to remind us to keep it sweet. And we have to have his help to do that. We're not none of us spiritual enough to do that without his help. So that's the second concept. Now, the third concept is never be afraid of an external problem. So worry and worship are the same. They have the same five steps. Now, when you worship the Lord, you look to the Lord. You, whether your eyes are closed, you're still focusing on him. And then the second step of worship is you magnify the Lord. You start praising him. And the more you praise him, the more your expectations will flow from him. So the Bible says, all my fountains are in you. That means the fountains of expectation are flowing from God. And when that happens, you come under the dominion of the Lord, and you serve him as a slave of righteousness. But that's where you're safe under his wing. And the fifth step of worship is you become like the Lord. You become like the Lord in character and in victory. Amen? And in fruitfulness. What a wonderful thing to become like him. But now worry does the same steps, except you turn your back on the Lord and look at the problem, and then you magnify the problem, and you keep magnifying it until your expectations flow from the problem. Then you come under the dominion of the problem and serve it as a slave of fear, and then you become a problem. Now, some people go around confessing, I'm a worrier, I'm just a worrier, I'm a worrier. And I tell people, look, if you were picking your nose all the time, you wouldn't tell people about it. You'd keep it a secret, amen? So don't go telling people you're a worrier. That's embarrassing, amen? Tell people, I used to be a worrier. Say it out loud, I used to be a worrier, but now I'm a worshiper. But now I'm a worshiper, all right? So... Jesus forbids us to get alarmed at external problems. Now, he said, in the end time, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is yet to come. And then he said, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I say, fear him. Now, if you're not allowed to get alarmed at a war, which is the biggest external problem, or a terrorist who wants to kill you, 
then you're not alarmed to get a you're not allowed to get alarmed if somebody dings your new car with the door in a parking lot or if your water heater rusts out and floods part of your house you have to get used to waving your arm and saying that's just an external problem that's just an external problem that's just an external problem see internal problems if you don't repent they can send you to hell they can turn into rebellion or idolatry so they're serious. But an external problem is just an external problem. Amen? God makes grace with those and uh, turns them into miracles. Now, how many of you think we don't obey the Lord very good when he says, I don't allow you, I'm forbidding you to get alarmed at any external problem? How many of you think maybe we need to repent a little bit? Well, don't bow your head in shame, but lift your head up like a sunflower looking up to the Lord. And lift your hand up to the Lord and just ask the Lord to help you. Amen? Let's do that right now. Just loving, affectionately. Tell the Lord, I would like to obey you in that area, Lord. I want to stop getting alarmed at external problems. Now, I want to ask you all a question. It's hard to get Christians unified on what kind of toilet paper to buy in a church, what kind of carpet to put on the floor. It's hard to get Christians to agree, but... On this one question, they always agree. What kind of problems are Christians more concerned about, internal or external? Unanimously, north, south, east, and west, everybody says we get more alarmed at external problems. So then I tell everybody, if you want to be men and women of faith, you've got to turn that around. So the next external problem you run into, I want you to wave your hand and say it's just an external problem. Do it one more time. Do it like this. Say, it's just an external problem. That's right. All right. Now, the next concept of faith is that God is in control. This is the most calming of all the faith concepts. Now, when Jesus was being brought to trial, you see, it looked like the devil was in control of Judas and the Roman soldiers who, for a paycheck, would kill an innocent person of uh, Elders, the Pharisees, were so demon-possessed. Uh, the crowd had gone berserk with a persecution madness. The judge of the trial said, what is truth? The disciples forsook him. Look, it didn't look like God was in control of anything, but it looked like the devil was in control. But the devil's hands were here, but God's bigger arms were around the situation. Amen? Because everything that was happening had been prophesied and written in Scripture, and it was going according to God's script. Amen? Now, one time before 9-11, when you didn't have to get to the airport so early, I got to the airport and uh, had to go through a 45-minute line to get to the ticket counter, and then I only had five minutes to get to the gate because my plane was going to board in five minutes. Just then someone accosted me, demanded my time and attention. I couldn't get loose from them. They took up another 45 minutes of my time. When I finally shook free of them, I gave them a dirty look, picked up my carry-on, my computer, which was each was heavy because... My carry-on is loaded with books, so that's probably close to 50 pounds. So I'm running with about 70 pounds of stuff. I get to the gate, and I said, has my, has my flight left? And they said, no, there's been a delay. The flight crew hasn't shown up. So I'm sitting there with chest pains, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. You didn't think I had it under control, did you? I said, no, Lord. He said, it never even entered your mind that I might have it under control, did it? I said, no, Lord, it never even entered my mind that you might have it under control. 
He said, don't you remember that Jesus said not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of your heavenly Father. I'm in a lot more control than you're giving me credit for. I said, I see. He said, what's the real reason you are so snotty to the person who detained you? I said, I was snotty because I thought it was out of control. He said, that's the right answer, but I don't ever want you to act that way again. Now, a few weeks later, I called a pastor in Las Vegas, and I said, I'm arriving on Saturday. I wanted you to know when my plane arrives so someone can pick me up. He said, but you didn't send us any posters, so we thought you had canceled the meeting, and we announced that the meeting is off. I said, oh, I'm so sorry that I blew it, but hey, pastor, I've already bought my ticket, and I can't reschedule anything this late. What if I paid my own ticket and just came in and spoke on Sunday? The people would get to know me, and, and then you could bring me back in sometime when we properly publicize the meeting, you know, and we'd make a little something out of my mistake. Well, he agreed to that, and he gave the phone to the secretary who took down my flight information. So when I flew into Las Vegas, there was no one there to pick me up, but I was, I was going to do it right. I was going to put on a show for God. Amen. So hallelujah. I'm real spiritual. I'm praising God, you know. And after about 20 minutes, I get on the pager phone. I say, well, the party to pick up West Dauphin will come to luggage area so-and-so. I waited another half an hour. Nobody showed up. So I thought I'll have to call him. Well, it, I took, I got the directory. There were nine families with his first and last name. And I used a 35 cent pay phone. I called all nine of them. They'd never heard of him. He had an unlisted number. So I got happier than ever. And I thought I'm going to have to book my own hotel and get a taxi, which I did. And I witnessed to the taxi driver real profoundly. And he took me by the church on the way to the motel. And there was a poster with the Hispanic church and the number of the Hispanic pastor when I, that they used in the afternoon and evening service. So uh, when I got there, I called him and he rushed over and took me out to dinner. And he said, now we have a Latino Bible study tonight. Why don't you be our speaker and I'll translate for you. And so I, I got to lead three college students to Christ in a little living room, two young ladies, one young man. And they received Christ with tears. God was just real thick in that room. So he went to the pastor and he said, well, uh, we want to keep Wes over. He speaks Sunday morning, but we want him to speak at our Hispanic church Sunday night. So when the pastor, uh, you know, was ready to dismiss that morning, he said, uh, Wes is going to stay over and speak tonight to our Hispanic church. How many of you would come back Monday if we kept Wes over? Everybody raised their hands. So my plane ticket had not been changed. It was still to leave on Thursday. And every night he'd say, how many would come back tomorrow night if we kept Wes over? And the same thing happened. We went all the way through Wednesday. People were saved, healed, filled with the Holy Spirit. Plus, they paid the plane ticket. But more than that, I got to lead three extra people to Christ. All because of a wonderful external problem. Amen? And God was in control. Now, when it looks like God's out of control and things are out of control, lift your hands right now. How many of you know in our nation and in our world and in our individual lives, God is in control? That doesn't mean he's responsible for all the evil. It just means his bigger arms are around the situation. Now, this is an interesting one. Jesus said, ask and you receive, seek and you shall find. And Don Cox taught me this. He was a great man of God. But he said, the miracle rarely comes to the desk where you're pounding your fist. God hears your prayer and he parachutes the answer in. But he said, it usually lands in the bushes somewhere. Not there. So he lands out here. And so he said, oh, you have to pray 
and then you believe that you receive and praise God like you've received. And then he said, now you go looking for your miracle, see? And he said that looking for the miracle is the funnest part of prayer. And then he'd tell all kinds of stories. Uh, you know, he told of a little boy that uh, prayed for $10 and went out looking for $10 on the sidewalk. And a little old lady saw him and said, son, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for $10. I prayed and asked God for $10, and I'm out here looking for it. She said, son, you'll never find it that way, and pulled $10 out of her purse and gave it to him, see? And so he, he would tell story after story like that. And it would just stretch my unbelieving mind, okay? Now, we took him back to the Portland International Airport, and I was riding in the back seat, and he kept saying, listen to this, God wants to give you the desires of your heart so he can grant those desires and get glory for his name. Now, after the tenth time he said that, I spoke up from the back seat, and I said, Don, if that's true, could it possibly be God's will to let my wife have a horse? She wanted a horse. And he turned around and began to poke me in the chest, which is fighting stuff when men poke somebody in the chest. He said, don't you ever mess with the desires in somebody's heart. He thumped me the whole time. God lets those desires be there so he can grant those desires and get glory for his name. And then he lunged at me and said, would you actually steal glory from God? And the pastor almost rolled the car. It was violent. And, and, and the pastor thought the evangelist had gone berserk. But I told the pastor, it's okay, I, I received the rebuke. So I went home vibrating. I said, Bonnie, I've changed my mind. I'm going to let you have a horse. <laughs> she said, I know, and God's going to give me a free one. I said, a free horse? I've seen free kittens. I've seen free puppies. I ain't never seen free horses. She said, I've prayed. I've praised. Get in the car. We're going to go looking for my free horse. I'm thinking, this is stupid. Well, we're looking around. I'm a cowboy from South Dakota. I grew up riding horses. So I said, this is a good horse. This horse really neck reins good. You should buy. She said, she's not free. He's not the right horse. I quit going with her. How many of you know Jesus had to kick people out of the house when he was going to raise somebody from the dead when they had unbelief? Amen. Well, he kicked me out there, and, and <laughs> so she went looking for a miracle with a lady. Now, one day she called me from a little town five miles away. She said, there's a man down here that wants to sell us four horses for $400. I said, 400 each. She said, no, 400 for all four. Being a cowboy, I knew that was a miracle. So I drove down there, and this elderly couple had been feeding horses nine years Nobody had ridden them in nine years. Now, two were about 30 years old, big, heavy horses, about ready to die on the hoof. One was a nine-year-old, unbroken mare, never been broke to ride, pure-blood quarter horse, beautiful mare, but never broke to ride. One was a rideable black mare, probably about 10 years old. I bought four horses, five tons of hay, bridles, brushes, and a feed bin, and an old ugly saddle for $600. I took the two oldest horses to the auction, and they brought $585. The saddle got stolen from an unlocked shed on somebody else's property where we were keeping the horses, and my homeowner's insurance replaced it for $295. I bought a better saddle from my dad's neighbor, hand-tooled with 200 hours of labor, 
for $150, had $145 left over, so I hired a horse trainer for one month, trained the nine-year-old unbroken mare for one month, sold her as a saddle horse for $400, looked around, had one free horse, five tons of free hay, free saddle, free bridles, free brushes, free feed, Ben, and $400 extra dollars. So we went to a, a creamery that they were tearing down. We bought used lumber and built a free barn and a free corral. Now, we've been trying to conceive a child for six years. My wife just could not conceive, but she had those horses for two weeks and conceived our oldest daughter. Now we have two beautiful daughters, three grandsons, and a granddaughter. And the Bible says a desire fulfilled is a tree of life, and the Bible says the, tree of, the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. My personal belief is that, that when God gave her the desires of her heart, it healed something inside and allowed her to conceive a child. I believe God rebuked me so hard because if I had squashed her prayer for a horse, I don't think I'd have any kids or grandkids. Now, that's an amazing thought that God loves you enough to give you desires of your heart. And the more we walk with God, you know, we, we won't have bad, terrible desires. But I thought a horse would be perfectly carnal. You know, I couldn't imagine that God would do that, but, but he did. Amen. Lift your hands up and thank God he loves you. He loves you, and uh, he is glorified by giving you wonderful blessings, all right? And many times they're found. Now, I taught this, you see, in uh, Brookville, Ohio. Two years later, I came back, and the lady said, what you taught us, the miracles were found. And she said, one night, I told God, I have to have money for dog food. My big German shepherd was out of food. He needs a 50-pound sack of dog food. She said, my shoes were so worn out, I couldn't go to work one more day in those shoes. I said, I've got to have money for shoes and dog food tonight. She said, I did just what you said. I asked, and then I praised God that he was sending the money. And then instead of waiting in my house, I got in my car and went driving around looking for money. And I saw money blowing across a vacant lot. So I parked my car, I got out, and began to pick up the, the bills. Another lady saw me doing that and said, is that your money? She said, no. So that lady picked up as much as she could. I said, how much did you get? She said, I got enough for a 50-pound sack of dog food, and Walmart was having two pair of shoes for the price of one. So I ended up getting two pair of shoes. <laughs> now, I'm convinced that we miss this concept of faith a lot. Because many, many miracles are found. And when it comes to praying that our churches will increase in size, I believe we need to pray, praise, and then go looking for the sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And one of the greatest joys in the Christian faith is when you get out of the church into the streets, have some kind of good handout to give, go love people, find people. There's lonely people Desperate people waiting for somebody to pray. All right. Now, the sixth concept is that God pre-places possibilities all around you. And he is an eternal God, so he thinks of you way in advance. So little Zacchaeus couldn't see over the crowd, but Jesus had, had planted a, you know, some God had had somebody plant a sycamore fig tree by the road, and it had been 30, 40 years earlier. Now it was so big, he could crawl up the tree and see Jesus. And Jesus said, come down, Zacchaeus. I must have lunch at your place. And uh, when David wanted to conquer the city of Jerusalem, from, from uh, Joshua all the way to David, nobody could conquer, conquer the Jebusites. 
uh, but the walls were even bigger than Jericho. But all the time there was a pre-placed possibility the water shaft went underneath the walls. Now, when people look at a problem with unbelief, they, they don't see the possibility. They're looking through a, a steel grid of unbelief, and it blocks out the possibilities. But if we look with the eyes of faith, we'll find that all around us, God has already pre-placed possibilities. Amen? I could take a lot longer on that and give you more uh, examples, but I want to hurry on. Okay, the seventh, the bigger the problem, the more the grace. Now, in 1996, I went through a terrible church split that lasted seven months. It was a slander attack. Letters, many letters were sent out to the whole congregation calling me an idolater, an insane person, and all kinds of names. And uh, after I got through that, I turned the church over to another man, and I became an evangelist. And I was going to have a first meeting, so I fasted three days. From all the stress of that uh, year and the fasting, it threw my heart out of rhythm, and now I had a skipping heart rate. It wouldn't ever beat 100 beats without skipping. Sometimes it would only beat one beat and skip, one beat and skip, and it would lurch in my chest. The devil said, poor you, you poor thing. You're only 47. You're going to die and leave your wife as a widow and your children as orphans. And now don't ever let the devil sympathize with you. So I said, this is my biggest problem. I'm, it's got to uh, turn into a miracle. Amen. And I asked God for some kind of a natural substance that would bring my heart into rhythm, and I searched for it. I found the juice of the noni plant, N-O-N-I, that grows in the Polynesian islands. I drank a bottle of that, and it healed my heart. I became a distributor and sold enough that uh, somebody uh, was put underneath me through lead share, and he happened to be a multi-marketer and brought in 100 professional marketers with him. And I started getting $1,000 a month. Now, I didn't have any money saved for my daughter's college because I'd give it all the missions and tithe and church building fund and 700 club and stuff like that. And uh, so God, you know, I made $48,000 in those four years and we used it all for her college. So that was a big problem turned into a $48,000 miracle. Now, a medium problem was, as an evangelist, I called this church from Omaha, Nebraska, where I lived. I called Des Moines, Iowa, 140 miles east. I said, I'm ready to come to the meeting. I just need directions. He said, what meeting? I said, the meeting you booked with me months ago. I said, I didn't book any meeting with you. He said, it's snotty. And the Holy Spirit, what do you think the Holy Spirit whispered? Keep it sweet. Everybody say it. Keep it sweet. Because then, you see, it's only an external problem if I keep it sweet. So I said, Pastor, I'm sorry for the miscommunication. I'll take full responsibility for that. You have a wonderful day. God bless you. I started looking for a miracle. I phoned churches all day Wednesday and all day Thursday trying to get a Sunday night service. Friday morning, there was a $1,000 check in the mail from an unemployed man who said, Brother Wes, I feel God wants you to have this money. And I realized God wanted me to stay home and help my daughter apply for scholarships because the deadline was coming and she had procrastinated, didn't seem to know how to do it. I helped her make a, a portfolio of her scholastic achievements. She got a $2,500 merit scholarship to the Assembly of God University in Kirkland, Washington 
Washington, and it was renewable if she kept her grades up. She's since collected 10000 We made a video of her singing three-part harmony with herself and got a fine arts scholarship, $1,000 a year, renewable, and she's since collected 4000 And then we sent copies of those two things to the Genesis Foundation and asked for $3,700 more, and the president called me and said, you're on the board, West. Federal law prohibits us from giving scholarships to board members and their families, but my wife and I are so impressed with your daughter, we're going to give you $3,700. And when you add all that up, that's $18,700, and if I'd have gone to that meeting, I'd have only gotten about $500. Now, a little problem was that we knew we were going to move to the West Coast, so I started having meetings out on the West Coast uh, to look for a rental and the pastor of one church was getting senile, and he took me back to the airport and came in on the wrong level. He said, I'll go around the airport and bring you in on the right level. So we hit a barricade, and it threw him off a detour, and he got lost, completely lost sight of even the airplanes coming in. By the time he got back to the airport, my plane had left. Now, how many of you know that professional wrestlers when they're going to go for the takedown, they go like this. Now, I want you to all do this. It's a memory technique. I want you to go like you're going to get a takedown and say, there's got to be a miracle in here. Say it out loud. There's got to be a miracle in here. There's got to be a miracle. I'm going to grab that miracle. And that was my attitude. I thought, if God let that pastor get that confused, there's got to be a miracle in here. And all of a sudden, America West Airlines says, our flight from Portland to Phoenix is overbooked. If you have flexible travel plans, you'll only have to wait an hour. We'll give you $400. Man, my hand went up first. And so I only had to wait an extra hour, and they flew, my first experience flying first class, they gave me almonds instead of peanuts, and I was, Im- I was impressed. Now, when I got to Phoenix, they said, our last flight of the day to Portland is overbooked. If you have flexible travel plans, we'll, we'll, we'll put you up in a hotel. We'll give you a meal voucher. And so I, I took that, and that next day, I flew home first class. From Phoenix to Omaha, I was first class. I was eating almonds again. And I had $900 of flight coupons that we used to fly my wife and daughter to Seattle to enroll her in college. Now, I didn't have a penny for my daughter's education, so God used a wonderful church split, a wonderful skipping heart, a wonderful canceled paycheck, and a wonderful mixed flight. And my daughter graduated without one penny of debt. Now, just lift your hands and worship God because he wants to do that again. He wants to do that for you. He loves you individually, and he wants to mix grace with your problems. All right, now, the eighth concept is the longest chapter in the book as I explain that when you've received Jesus, you have favor with God, and favor is transferable to people. And so three books of the Bible are based on this faith concept, Esther, Nehemiah, and Philemon in the New Testament. So, to explain it, uh, Jesus announced, uh, the Spirit of God is on me. You know, he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and then he described that anointing. But that portion of Scripture said to, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, when you receive the Son, you get favor with the Father. So, to explain that, I'm going to tell you the story that's supposed to be true uh, of a man who collected art as investments, and he'd fly all over the world and bid on world-class art, investment art that might be worth a million dollars or something like that, and he'd take his little boy with him. And eventually, his little boy shared his great love of art, but he 
got old enough to go into the military and became a medic and died saving the life of another soldier. But that soldier was an amateur artist and he painted a picture of the old man's son and brought it to the old man and said, I know you collect the world's best art and I'm just an amateur, but your son saved my life and I wanted to honor him. Well, that was the favorite picture of that old man. He framed it in the most exquisite frame, moved the others out of the way, hung it above the fireplace and sat in his rocker and gazed at it at night. And eventually he died and they had an estate sale and people came from all over the world to bid on this great collection of paintings. And the auctioneer said, we're going to start with a painting by an amateur artist of the old man's son. And people began to grumble and gripe. We've come from all over the world and we didn't come to bid on amateur art. Let's get to the good stuff. He said, I'm sorry, I have to follow the will here. Well, somebody eventually bid something like $35. Nobody would raise the bid. He said, sold. Then he said, now, folks, the auction is over. And everybody gasped. Yes, because the old man said that whoever bought that painting of his son got everything else. Whoever takes the son takes it all. Now, you see, you've taken the son when you've accepted Jesus. and You don't realize how much favor you have with God. You just don't realize it. The devil wants to keep you ignorant of it. But you have tremendous favor with God. And that favor can be transferred to people. Now, whatever God calls you to do, rarely will you ever have the money to do it. And so the devil will say, you don't have the money, you don't have the money, you don't have the money. You don't. And he'll keep going on until you say, shut up, I've got the favor. <laughs> now, other people have the money. And if you'll walk holy, righteously, not manipulate for money, God will transfer that favor to people and they'll help you with your vision. Amen? So sometimes they'll, God will even speak the name of a person to you and tell you, ask this person to help you. And as long as you don't manipulate or abuse that, uh, that's the favor. So uh, Nehemiah had favor with God. It was transferred to the king of Persia, and he got the money to rebuild Jerusalem. And Esther had favor with God. It was transferred to the king of Persia, and she saved her people from uh, genocide. And then uh, uh, Paul had favor with God, but it was transferred to Philemon so that uh, his convert, Onesimus, would be granted his freedom Later, Onesimus became the bishop of Ephesus and died as a martyr. He followed Timothy there. Now, just lift your hands and thank God you have favor. And uh, you're going to have to remember to talk to God about that. Lord, is there somebody I should ask to help me? Should I present the vision to somebody? Will you transfer this favor I have with you to, to people? And then you pray, help us, Lord, to... Bear it faithfully and not manipulate. Amen? You don't ever want to manipulate. Now I'm coming to the, uh, the I told you two main uh, ones out of the 12. This is one of the other most important ones. And I want to tell you how faith comes. All right, get ready. Here it is. Faith comes when God reveals his will. Now, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, but the reason faith comes by hearing the Word of God is because that's a revelation of His will. 
And so anybody in the Bible that had great faith all got it the same way. They got a revelation of God's will. Some heard God speak. Some saw an angel. Some read it in the, in the scriptures. But however God reveals his will, that serves you faith on a platter. He can't force you to take it, but he provides it. And so I... Amen? So, uh, for instance, Peter, when he saw Jesus on the water, didn't have faith to walk on the water because he didn't know it was God's will. So he inquired and said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. When Jesus said, come, the faith to walk on water was presented to Peter, and then God named it, and he had to claim it by getting out and walking on the water. Now, I ask people, why did the other disciples not walk on water? I'll have to give you the answer quickly. They didn't inquire if it was God's will. If they'd have said, Lord, tell us to come to you on the water. Do you think Jesus would say, nah, sit in the boat. Peter's my favorite. No, I think Jesus would have said, come, all of you, come. And the perfect will of God would have been for all the disciples to have been jumping around on the waves out there and having a wonderful party. See, now the leper said, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. At that point, he doesn't have faith to be healed because he doesn't have a revelation of God's will. But when Jesus said, I'm willing, immediately the faith was there to get healed. And then when Jesus touched him, he instantly received. So don't just say, I know God can do it if he wants to, because that's not, that's only preliminary. You have to find out if he wants to. And When you know what he wants... We ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have what we asked of him. So you must never rush this step of faith. Faith is a revelation of God's will. Amen? Now, the uh, 12 spies, when Moses sent them out, they all had a revelation of God's will, that God was going to drive the giants out and give them the promised land, send hornets out, and the hornets weren't afraid of the giants. Hornets would just crawl down under their armor. <laughs> Amen? Sting them. All right? So uh, only two claimed what God named, Caleb and Joshua. The others took the fear that the devil presented. Amen? And so that's the next concept. Well, first of all, you realize God names it and you claim it. So name it and claim it is wrong if you are naming it and you are claiming it, you're acting like God. You're reversing the order and making God your servant. And so I tell people that's not faith. That is pride cross-dressing as faith. And so much of the teaching on faith in the body of Christ is not faith at all. It's pride cross-dressing as faith. And it's evil and it's satanic. Real faith always depends on God's will. It does not operate independently of God. God names it. And we claim it. Now, you may not hear a voice of God telling you what, but you can read the scriptures and get pretty full of God's will from that. Amen? Does that make sense? But whatever God's will is, that's when you claim it. And you work in teamwork with God. Quickly, I'll tell you that when I made $600 a month, God said, I can give you a house. And I began to look for houses, but $600 a month. 
And so then one night God boomed out of my chest. A booming voice came out from inside of me. You're going to be moving in right across the street and money's not going to be any problem. Now, I, I was presented faith on a platter, but when God named it like that, I still had to claim it. So I ran to the window and I said, I'm going to be moving in right over there and money's not going to be any problem. The next morning I knocked on that lady's door. God told me to buy your house. Is it for sale? She said, we're thinking about selling it. Showed me around. Make a long story short, she let me tie up her property with $50 earnest money deposit. Only $50. I put our trailer house up for sale to be the down payment. We bought it for $3,500. We were trying to sell it for $3,500. Three months went by and it wouldn't sell. And she called me and said, we can't keep this property off the market much longer for just $50. You're going to have to do something. And the devil immediately said, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. I said, shut up, you land devil. And I raised the price to $4,000. I raised it $500, and, and it sold just like that. And by that time, I got a raise to $700 a month. We got the loan, and it was 1975. We bought that house for $22,500. Four years later, we sold it for $50,000. When Jimmy Carter was president, and interest rates were 21.5%, and we cashed out. Hallelujah. So, you see, God named it. You can't just point at anybody's house and say, I'm, I'm claiming that house. You might be coveting somebody else's house. What God names, you should claim, or you'll offend the Lord. Amen? But you'll offend Him for sure if you go naming stuff independently of Him. All right? Now, remember, get rid of your internal problems, and then... Claim the revelation of God's will and resist the fear because that's the next one is the devil will try to serve you fear on a platter and you always have to resist the fear. Remember when that lady said, you've got to do something, I can't keep this and, and the devil said, it's not going to work, it's not going to work, it's not going to If I'd have turned and embraced that, I wouldn't have got that miracle. I had to resist that fear. How many of you know Peter took the fear and start to lose his miracle of walking on the water because the miracle was all the way out to Jesus. It wasn't just one or two steps on the water. It was a 30, 40 step miracle and 30, 40 steps back. Everybody say, resist the fear. Now, say this out loud. A big pitcher can be filled with a lot of water. Now, say, say this with me. A big heart of love can be filled with a lot of faith. And, of course, faith is the revelation of God's will. And a big heart of love can contain it. Now, if you had a pop bottle and you were standing out in a rainstorm trying to catch the rain, that little small opening wouldn't get much rain and it would take a long time to fill up with water. But if you put a funnel in the top of the pop bottle, you could catch a lot more of the rain and it would fill up. And so... The rain is like the revelation of God's will, see? And you're the pop bottle. You're that bottle. But if you walk in love, you love God, you love your family, you love your neighbor, you love your enemies, then you're going to catch a lot more of the revelation of God's will. And that's why the Bible says faith works by love. Faith works by love. The reason is love can perceive and catch knowledge of God's will. Mm -hmm. But if we're hard-hearted, then we'll be like this character here. 
If we get angry, if we get bitter, if we walk in selfishness, we, re, we invert the funnel of love. And now the opening's even smaller. And there's only one little drop of faith plinking down into this guy. And so he's what I call a mean, old, ornery, Pentecostal boogerhead. Now, the Bible says, in your wrath, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because all the time that you're angry, your funnel's inverted. How many of you think sometimes we let the enemy trick us and we invert our funnel? Wave your hand at God and say, dear God, help me keep the funnel the right direction. Amen? Because there's a way for us to love even our enemies. All right, so what we want to be is like this one here. We, we want to have a great big funnel of love. Now, I've read about people who were marvelously used of God. Heidi Baker is an example. And, uh, and I wondered how she was used for so many miracles. But then I noticed how much she loved those little orphans. And one story she told of this uh, little girl who had been raped and left for dead. And uh, they nursed her back to life. They found another little girl, even younger, raped and left for dead in worse shape. And uh, this little girl was so traumatized that uh, tears were always running down her cheeks and she wouldn't speak to anybody. And uh, so Heidi was going to baptize some of these kids. And, and, uh, but this little girl had never professed Christ. So I think her name was Angelica, but I don't remember for sure. But anyway, she said, sweetheart, do you know what it means to die? And the little girl nodded her head with a tear coming down her cheek. She said, well, when I put you under the water in baptism, your old life will die. And when I raise you up in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you'll have a brand new life. Would you like that? The little girl nodded her head with a tear coming down. And that day, Heidi had nothing but dirty laundry water, kind of green, yucky-looking water. But that's what they had to baptize the kids in there. And so she said she held that little frail girl in her arms, and, and she said... She baptized her in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And she raised her up, and the little girl got radiant, and she spoke, and she said, Mama Ida, I want to direct the children's choir. <laughs> now, Heidi would rock those little traumatized girls till she caught lice and scabies from them. But she'd love them. And so I... I believe that if you'll let God give you, you know, we should care about widows and orphans and hurting, suffering people around the world. Amen? And the people that go through great hurricanes and tragedies. and Just let your heart expand. Do your best to love your family. It's our laboratory to practice a sweet spirit. Amen? <laughs> and love your neighbors. Love one another as Christ loved you. Practice loving each other as if that person was Jesus because he's taken it personally as it, you know. Now let's ask the Lord. This is there's only one more faith concept, but would you lift your hands and ask the Lord to just fill you with love and, and so you can catch the revelation of his will and then the loving heart still has to pray and say, Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your will. Folks, it's not scriptural to pray for faith. It's scriptural to pray, God, fill me with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. All right, here's the last one. That no matter what God names, you only get as much as you claim. 
And that means we have a responsibility in faith. There's a responsibility. Faith has to be faithful. Faith and faithfulness go together. Now, here's an old guy. See, it's God's promises are mine. He's got a, he's got a big gold mine here, but he's tired. He's got the claim. It's his mind. He said, I've got the legal claim. There's lots of gold, but I'm tired. I quit. And Jesus says, but no one else can mine your claim. What a waste. Now, in the Bible, there's a strange story of the king of Israel went to the prophet Elisha when he was on his deathbed. And Syria had almost completely wiped out the army of Israel. And so he appealed to the king, and the king laid his hands on, the prophet laid his hands on the king's hand to transfer anointing and said, open the window and shoot that arrow out east there. And as he shot the arrow out the window, the prophet said, that's the Lord's arrow of victory over Syria. And then he said, you will completely conquer and destroy the Syrians. And I said, take the arrows and strike the ground. And, and he was supposed to act out as if he was striking the Syrians. But he struck three times and stopped. And the old prophet got angry. He said, why didn't you strike five or six times? Then you would have completely destroyed them. Now you're only going to defeat them three times. And so in the context, you read how he won three battles, but he didn't completely destroy the Syrians, and they grew back to oppress Israel. And so in my life, God has named a lot of things for me to claim. And folks, we get tired. You know about that. The Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord renew their strength. The only reason we can keep on going is if we renew our strength. Amen? That's when we mount up on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. And by the way, what does it mean? Why, why would you run sometimes and walk sometimes? You never run through the valley of the shadow of death. When you're in great trials, you walk. One step at a time, and you get, and you get through it. But folks, we've got to learn to renew our strength. We can't ever say to God, you know the battle sucked up all my strength. You know I am totally worn out. Can I quit now? God said, honey, we don't do quit. You've got to renew your strength. Now, here's something I believe, and I wish I had, uh, you know, I wish I, somehow I had time to, accurately communicate it forcefully. I believe God has a way for every one of you to bring him massive glory. Different paths for different people, see? But I never think of myself as, well, I'm somebody special, and these poor little people, they don't amount to much. I never think that. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And so the playing field is all even. And if somebody has five gifts then they're responsible to be totally faithful with five. If somebody only has one, they're responsible to be totally faithful with one. And God is not measuring how many gifts we have. He's measuring how faithful we are. And so each of you desire to bring God massive glory, and he's going to have your own individual way to do that. Amen? Now, your, somebody's way might be to preach to a million people, but somebody else's way might be to raise the little baby that became the preacher. <laughs> 
I got to tell you this. I just have to tell you this. ABC News gave an award of the week to Norman Borlaug, a scientific botanist who developed dwarf wheat. Most all of the wheat we eat is dwarf wheat. It grows short, heavy, heavy heads, and it grows in drier countries. So they said he's responsible for saving the lives of three billion people from starvation through his uh, these crops he developed that uh, don't take as much water. But Andy Andrews heard about that, and he said, don't give the reward to him. Give the reward to Henry Wallace. He was the vice president under Roosevelt, and he had the vision for that uh, laboratory. He got the funding, got the laboratory set up in Mexico, and hired young Norman Borleg, who then spent a whole generation developing these projects, so give the reward to him. And said, wait a minute, don't give the reward to him. Give the reward to George Washington Carver. He was the black scientist that said, show me the secrets of the universe, and God said, that would blow your mind. I'll show you the secrets in the peanut. And he developed over 200 products from the peanut. Well, he used to take Henry Wallace by the hand, walk out into the countryside and name the scientific names of the plants, and he's the one that inspired Henry Wallace with a vision to help humanity through the science of botany, to give the reward to him. But then Andy Andrews said, no, 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 wait. Give the reward to Farmer Carver, because in the Civil War, some terrorists stole a, a family of black slaves, and they killed the mother, and Farmer Carver traded a horse for a little black baby, and then this white man adopted the black baby and gave him his son. The mother named him George Washington. He named him George Washington Carver. How many of you know back in those days, for a white person to raise a black person as their own son, that was out there. But he didn't realize that by saving that one little baby, several generations later, was going to result in three billion people being saved of starvation. Now, you see, there's different ways. You see all those different ways. Now, I could go on and name story after story after story of different ways. Dr. Cho, pastor of the world's largest church, author, National, uh, international television programs. Okay, that's massive. But before he ever built that largest church, there was a lady that prayed 17 years that God would start a church in that area. And God spoke to her and said, I've heard your prayers, and the church I'll start through your prayers will become the biggest church in the world. She had a way of bringing God massive glory. That's not the end of the story. When they built the big sanctuary and they ran out of money in a depression... Joe was about ready to commit suicide, and they were having a prayer meeting in the walls of the, of the church, you know, just the, just the walls up. And a little lady said, I want to give my rice bowl and chopsticks to the building fund. And he said, Mother, I can't accept that. I know that's all you have. She says, Pastor Cho, I'm not well, and soon I'm going to die and go to heaven to be with Jesus. He's given so much to me. I just want to give him something. I don't need my rice bowl. I can eat off of a newspaper. And I don't need my chopsticks. I can eat with my fingers. Please accept my gift. And so he accepted it. People were crying. And then a businessman said, I'll buy that rice bowl for $1,000. And a wave of sacrificial giving hit the people. They gave houses, they gave sacrificially, and the church was built. 
Now, that little lady did something massive, although it didn't look massive to give a little rice bowl. And the man who bid $1,000 for it, that was something massive. The lady who prayed for the church to start. So, be men and women of faith. Get rid of your internal problems. Seek God earnestly in prayer and the revelation of his will. And remember that we want to bring people to Christ around the world. So we don't want to use our faith just for new houses and new cars and physical healing. But we ought to say, Lord, you said, ask me and I'll give the heathen for your inheritance. I want to win somebody to Jesus. I heard about a man, I'll close with this. He said, Lord, I want to win a Jew to Christ since Jesus was a Jew. There are no Jews in my village. If you'll bring a Jew to my village, I'll do my best to win him. And a young playboy named Richard Wormbrandt came to a tuberculosis sanatorium to get well. And this uh, man in Romania prayed over a Bible, gave him a Bible, and then this, he became a, a marvelous uh, minister that actually saw the downfall of communism in Romania, started Jesus to the communist world, and uh, a great mission, right? Famous, famous man. Now, the man that gave him a Bible didn't realize he was doing something massive to win one soul. That's why when, when I'm looking at you, I want you all to desire to be used of God to bring him massive glory. Get rid of your internal problems with the help of the Lord. When you see an external problem, say, Lord, that would make a perfectly good miracle. Now let's lift our hands and praise God this morning. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Let's stand. How about you do? Let's all stand. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Some of you are real tired. Ask the Lord to renew your strength. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and say, Lord, I, I just I need new strength, new fresh. I want to crash into heaven. You've got to give me the power to do that. Hallelujah. <laughs> you give me the power. Renew me. Renew me. Renew me. And then, Lord, we're just asking you to give us a new vision for people, to disciple them, to feed them, to love them, to care for them, to train them. Uh, first of all, to lead them to Christ. Uh, just fill us with love for people so that we have a huge funnel of love. And then use us all in our individual way to do something that will end up bringing you massive glory. All right, now that's my message, and here's how I want to conclude. I want you to team up a man with a man and a lady with a lady, and I want you to look them in the eye and say, what's your perfectly good problem? Practice, say that out loud. What's your perfectly good problem? All right. And then I want you to command that problem to turn into a blessing and a miracle. Now, you could get in a group of three if there's an odd number. Don't get in a group of four. Would you step out into the aisle and be my fellow minister and minister to one another now? Okay, a lady with a lady, a man with a man. Ask them, what's your perfectly good problem? Let's have the men with the men. Go ahead. Find somebody to team up with. You can get in a group of three, but not four. Four is too many. Ask him now. Go ahead and join right here, my brother. Join with these men.